Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Right now, I want to get over to Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer, co-founder at Defiance ETFs to talk to us about markets. Bring us back, Sylvia. What are we looking at here in terms of inflation? As Cameron just mentioned, um, the 7.9 print that we saw didn't even have really this wartime inflation in it. We know that um, that inflation is an issue in the markets. You know, what what happens to inflation going forward is, is, is really the issue. If, you know, if, if what we see going on in Russia and Ukraine comes to an end in in shorter order, then you know perhaps we go back to that that famous word transitory and it's something that we live with for you know another three to six months on top of what we were um, expecting before and it kind of fades away into the early part of 2023. But it all depends on on what happens I think with Russia. So um, you know the issue with with inflation in the market and, and as it continues to rise is that consumers which have really pushed our economy forward and have strong savings and all these things that will help get us, you know, out of sort of a recession and keep us growing and, and keep us recovering from this is that their sense of wealth wanes as that inflation number gets higher and they make different spending decisions. So that's, that's, I think, really the risk of, um, as you said, inflation and potentially wartime inflation to the market. Well, Sylvia, what I'm kind of questioning here is the timeline of it all, right? Because if you do have this wartime inflation, we're already seeing it in prices kind of skyrocketing. How long does it take to actually affect the consumer in in the real economy? Because it kind of seems like there is a lag in that. And if you actually look at the inflation print, yes, it's a very high number. 7.9% is not a good number necessarily, but it isn't an upside surprise. It was bang on line estimates, which you look at the last year, a lot of those prints were actually upside surprises. They were much higher than the consensus was. This, I think, is one of the few times it was actually bang in line with estimates. Is there some kind of silver lining in that? And that's a great point. I, you know, my sense is that because a lot of the um, sanctions have only started two weeks ago, it's not fully, you know, built into that number. So I think that you know March number will probably be a little bit uglier. But you know, the, the silver lining here is really that consumer savings remain at all-time highs. Um, I, I think once Russia-Ukraine situation is beyond us, we go back to economic activity shining through. And, you know, even with higher input costs like wages, commodities, companies still have considerable cash cushions larger to pre-pandemic levels, and so do consumers. So, you know, who does it impact? It, it really in- impacts the lower-income consumer, um, you know, con- consumers that are, that are sort of working and have higher wages and savings in the bank. I mean, th- they're unlikely to cancel their you know, trip to the shore and not drive because gas is a little bit more expensive in the short term. However, the longer that goes on, you know, the the, the more that that dynamic does shift and and it does kind of change the way that we behave. So in the near term right now, I think we'll be okay. But I I do think that, you know, the the situation has to come to an end or or it will sort of spell a different situation for the market. Is there uh, a, um, a, I guess, a boilerplate ETF strategy to fight inflation? You have, I mean, you you definitely have some in inflation, you know, inflation fighting ETF products. Um, Astoria Advisors recently launched a new one that's worth looking at. But I think, you know, I, I think with this, it's, it's not so much because I think it's going to be transitory. I think, you know, it's worth looking at those types of products. But I also think it's it's worth just looking at 
you know, buying on the dips in these types of markets, right? I, I, I think that a lot of the froth has been taken off of big mega cap names, for example. You know, Q's are at a discount. NASDAQ more than 20% off of highs. Um, things like 5G that you need to power, you know, the future of electric vehicles, augmented reality, AI, metaverse, all the stuff we were talking about before um, the, the Russia-Ukraine, um, you know, it, it, issue came into the market. I, I think that Basically, a lot of the ETFs that, that focus on secular growth stories um, and, and hold, you know, companies with strong um, cash reserves, balance sheets, and, and that are part of the future are, are worth looking at now, too. So I would just I would argue that there are a lot of good deals out there and they don't have to be inflation hedges per se. Um, you know, dividend ETFs like aristocrats, you know, people like to keep consistent income. So even if the share price is falling, you're getting the income on, yep. on some dips there. So, you know, those are some different ideas that you could look at. Have I told you, Sylvia, that we're restarting, relaunching the ETF show, a weekly special every Monday at 1 p.m.? Starring oh, that's me. exciting. Starring me and KG. Did you see how he, Ron KG, not Kriti Gupta, Katie Greifeld, uh, will be joining that program? Well, but do you uh, see how sneakily he stuck that in there? Well, I, I, it's not even a shameless plug. Well, there, it's are a a lot of great ET, there are a lot of great ETFs out there, and I think a lot of them have launched um, since that show has stopped. So you'll you'll have some good content to talk about. And, yeah. And well, and hopefully you'll join us up. as well. We can call that episode Happy. The Big Jablonski. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Sylvia, thank you so much for joining us. Sylvia Jablonski, their chief investment officer over at Defiance ETFs. Let's get back to Hugh Johnson, chairman and chief economist at Hugh Johnson Economics. Hugh, I'm sorry to have uh, had to cut you off there um, for the president, but of course we wanted to hear what he was going to say. And, you know, what's your take on, on the move um, and on the sanctions that we've seen thus far? Well, he's turning up, I think the word is, as, as your reporter suggested, as escalates and bit by bit. And what we're seeing is just bit by bit turning up the pressure on Biden. Uh, it doesn't seem to have had much of an effect yet. Uh, you will see it have an effect. The economy of Russia is really a big question mark, and it's going to go to positive 2% growth rates we were talking about maybe a month or month and a half ago, and it's going to be negative, but it's how much negative? It could be as much as a contraction of 20% in the Russian economy. To what extent is that going to put enough pressure on Putin to change his approach? You know, there's not much evidence he's going to change his approach, but we certainly want him to do that. And you can see the response of the markets today when there was wind of perhaps some uh, agreement being reached. Uh, the markets were performing positively. So the markets obviously want to see an end to this. Otherwise, we're going to see a sort of a back-and-forth uh, type of a volatile financial market environment for a while now. Hugh, let's stick with the markets here and the economy. I'm curious about the conversation on demand destruction, on potential interest rate cuts down the road after we kind of return to this normal policy, uh, more monetary policy. How seriously is the market taking the R word right now, the recession word? That's a great question. And the reason it's a great question is if you take a look at what the markets have done since really January 4th, we've had about a 14% decline in the S&P 500. And you ask the question, is this a decline in the stock market, which could be called a correction? In other words, a decline in stock prices that will not be accompanied by a recession? Or is it the start of a bear market that will be accompanied by a recession? 
markets are taking that possibility seriously, but I think the conclusion of the markets, again, 14% decline, and take a look at some of the other variables, such as leading indicators for the economy, the yield curve, which allows us to sort of measure the probability of a recession starting in 12 months. And the answer is, this is looking like a correction in an ongoing um, bull market, but a very severe correction. Now, I say severe. It's not altogether different. It's actually a little bit less than the normal post-war correction, which has been about 19% over four months. So we probably have a little bit further to go if we use averages. But nevertheless, I think that the conclusion of the markets now is tentatively this is only a correction. It's not the start of a bear market that's going to be accompanied by an economic contraction or recession. So... um I want, I want to get your take on a couple of things that we've heard from market participants. Jeff Gunlock has said he could, en- he could envision inflation at uh, in double digits, maybe at 10 percent, although his base case is for seven and a half at the end of the year. And Goldman Sachs um, said last night that there's a 35 percent chance of a recession next year. What do you think about those uh, two forecasts? 35% is not a big number, but it's still too high. In my judgment, I'd bring it down to about 20%. If we're going to try to quantify the probability of a recession. So that I, I kind of am not with Goldman Sachs on that number. Um, as far as 10%, when we get up to 10% inflation, that also, I have very, a variety of leading indicators of inflation. I don't see that in the cards. Talking about 6 8% consumer inflation now, it's probably going to stay. It'll be a big number for the month of March. I think we all know that. So we're going to have a high number for the first quarter for the consumer price index. But I think as we get not to the second quarter, but the third and fourth quarter, you're going to see the rate of inflation year over year, rate of inflation coming down. It's not going to come down as much as the consensus expects. The consensus expects it to come down to as two and a half percent. I think three and a half percent is the number and we'll get there by the end of this year. And that's what leading indicators of inflation are telling me very clearly. So no to good luck on this 10 percent and probably too high on the 35 percent chance of a recession. Although that's certainly I've seen higher numbers. All right. Great to get your take, Hugh. Thanks so much for joining us and for sticking with us um, throughout the president's speech. Hugh Johnson is the chairman and chief economist of Hugh Johnson Economics, also an advisor to Gray Point and its Hugh Johnson Advisors division. Let's get over to David Katz right now, president and CIO of Matrix Asset Advisors. David, I've talked with so many investment professionals this week who've said, I haven't had any sleep. I'm seriously worried about uh, heart palpitations. Um, How do you deal with this kind of volatility? Well, the best thing to do is to take a longer time horizon, try to put the market in some historical perspective. And if you do that, you actually can feel pretty comfortable. Since 1993, there have been 35 corrections of 5% or more. A number of those were the 10 to 15% level. And what's critical here is that if you look in the aftermath of those corrections, stocks rebound much quicker than anybody anticipates. The actual rebound is at about 4.7 months. So we think that the best thing to do, turn the noise down, turn, turn the news down, uh, take this 9- to 12-month perspective, and we think there's some great buying opportunities being presented. There's an enormous likelihood that a week and a month later you're going to feel stupid, the stocks will be lower. But 9- and 12 months later, these will have been great buys, and you're likely going to be making a lot of money. Okay, but don't, don't, don't turn the news the down. News. Don't, don't, don't turn <laughs> off Bloomberg Radio. What else would you listen to? 
You're, you're right. You got to listen to the news. Just don't react in terms of your uh, stock market investments based upon the bad news. Uh, you heard it first here, folks. Uh, listen to Bloomberg Radio. Very important. Um, what's interesting to me... I got to say, I listen to... So I, I, I'm so glad to have moved back to the, uh, the U.S. because of Sirius XM. I'll listen to Bloomberg. I'll listen to the Grateful Dead channel, sometimes Fish. And I a, only and listen to Bloomberg Radio. That is my okay. level of loyalty, Matt. But whatever. <laughs> um, David, let's talk to us. You talk about buying, essentially, essentially buying the dip. This is something, this kind of pressure we haven't seen... I feel like since the 2020 crash, um, how much further can stocks fall before we see perhaps some sustainable gains here? Well, well stocks on a day-to-day basis really can do anything. And you do have some pretty negative news out of Russia and the Ukraine, and you have some negative inflation news and negative oil news. However, a lot of that is in, uh, impacting stocks already. So stocks could easily move down 5 to 10% from here. However, we do think that when they rebound, you're going to get a 15 to 20% rebound. Uh, you never know where the bottom is. We think this, it's down enough that most of the damage has been done. So we're very comfortable buying here. And there are a lot of stocks that have just been creamed that have very good fundamentals and are great prices. Are your, are your clients more concerned with preserving capital right now, though, than, um, than growing, growing the well, pile? Well, typically during a down market, everybody tries to think about, oh, my goodness, I don't want to lose money. How do I preserve capital? And people are, are less focused on making money. But the best thing to do is set up a long-term asset allocation, not to get overly enthusiastic when stocks are great and thinking that you're doing wonderfully, and not to get overly negative when you're doing badly. And I think you had mentioned uh, March of 2020 when the uh, COVID pandemic broke out. You had a 35% correction in, in, a, in a matter of weeks, and it looked like the world was coming to an end, and it actually was on the health side. Uh, but the market fully recovered that and was up nicely for the year. If you were selling into that bad news, you locked in your losses and didn't get the recovery. So again, not getting overly uh, concerned about the really bad news in terms of its financial implications and, and sort of being a contrarian mm-hmm. was very helpful then. We think it's going to be helpful now. There was an article this weekend in Barron's that talked about how stock markets did after uh, wars, terrorist attacks, geopolitical events. And the bottom line was six to 12 months later, stocks are generally a lot higher. Mm. So for a lot of reasons, you know, we're, we're pretty comfortable here. David, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your insight today. David Katz, President and CIO of Matrix Asset Advisors. Let's get over right now to Andrew Channon, the CEO uh, 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 of Procure AM, to talk to us about what we see going on in terms of, um, well, space is what we always focus on with Andrew, and uh, they run the UFO ETF. I, I would have thought that there is little connection. Um, well, I hadn't thought about it, frankly, until Critty pointed out that the Russians are so active in space. Andrew, how does that affect your business? Uh, from so many different ways. And if you look at, you know, from the, even before the invasion occurred, we had companies like Maxar who have satellites pointed at borders all around the world that was providing us with real-time information of the troop buildup outside of Ukraine. And as time has progressed, we've seen a ton of changes. We've seen breakups of relationships uh, surrounding the International Space Station. We've seen Russia refusing to send uh, engines for rockets. Um, and as they are closing this off, we've even seen them hold hostage of 36 OneWeb satellites at the Bakunor launch pad in Kazakhstan. And so as they are 
becoming more protectivist of their space industry, it's creating many opportunities that are opening up for uh, commercial space business outside of Russia. So there's a lot going on. And, you know, the military and defense side of it is extremely critical at this time. So let's put a market lens on this. How do you play it? How do you trade it? So, yeah, we created UFO to provide a diversified vehicle for investors that want to get uh, global diversification to the to the space industry. So we have you know, over 40 companies currently in UFO specializing in all different areas. So you have your know, defense, uh, defense and, and even weapons manufacturers that are helping to build different technologies that help militaries around the world utilizing space. There's satellites, communications, observation, surveillance, which is also very critical not just for military times, but for, for many other things, even including tracking climate change. So, you know, with so many relevant areas that are becoming priorities around the world, space is helping address many of these problems and providing solutions. Is, it, is there a point where you think we need to have um, many different multiple space ETFs? Because it's, it's become such a big business that you can break it down in so many different ways. I would never say that you know, we, we need more competition. I, I'm, I'm really happy with the, the partners that we've made and the index that we've licensed. The underlying index is actually a collaboration with a former director of research from the Space Foundation who actually helped build the, the most popular global model that's used for actually calculating the size, growth, and change of the space industry. So we have a, a really great team that, that we love working with. And there's been a ton of research that actually goes into developing this concept. It wasn't just, hey, can you build one? Let's go and license it. There was a lot of work that was done beforehand. And um, they really look at companies deriving revenues from the space industry. So this is the first pure play global space ETF out there. And it was one done with a lot of consideration taking into uh, you know, before bringing this product out. Just want to quickly ask, uh, what's your favorite space movie? Oh God! I mean, honestly, we had a I'll big debate anything. about this. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch anything with with space related, um, and definitely tons of TV shows. But uh, happy to hear yours. It's hard. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Armageddon is great. Intergalactic is amazing. Um, you know, I love two thousand one and two thousand ten. I'm a. I love space movies as well. So I just thought I'd get you. I really take. liked Passengers. Honestly, with yeah. Jennifer Lawrence, I thought it was very good. Yeah, very good. Peter Stormare, I think, is the best space astronaut. He's the one who always plays the crazy drunk cosmonaut, even though he's not Russian. He's actually Swedish. Anyway, uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure talking to you. Andrew Chain in there um, from Procure AM. He is the CEO. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.